0: Good morning to you all here, and
1: good morning to students around the state who are joining us for a historic occasion. Uh, I, my name's Ed Bridges. I'm uh, on the staff here at the Department of Archives and History, and you're taking part in something that's historic. This has never been done before. You all know that each year, uh, one of the important traditions of Alabama is that the governor speaks to a joint session of the legislature on the first first evening of the first day of the legislative session. Oh yeah, so about the big issues that the state is facing. Uh, this, this year, the gov, Governor Riley has agreed to come and talk with you and with other students around the state who are linked up through access about these issues the day before he speaks with the legislature. Um, before I introduce the Governor, let me first introduce Dr. Joe Morton, the State Superintendent of Education, who's also here today and whose efforts in making sure all these access connections work is has been critical to this dr morton
2: thank you and good morning to each of you it's a great looking crowd Uh, it's an exciting day as mr bridges said some schools in alabama have the capability today to participate in an activity like this, but all do not. But working with Governor Riley we and the legislature, we have a plan, and it is now being enacted, and by August, when school starts, every single high school in Alabama will have this capability. So after school begins in August, we might have a 350 high school hookup, and do this statewide because we can expand learning for every student in Alabama starting this fall because everybody will have this capability so any subject you want to take any subject that's offered can be taken by any student in any high school in our state we can have meetings with school superintendents and principals and teachers it just opens up a whole new avenue for our state and we're on the cutting edge of this and it's because our governor and our legislature have a vision to make Alabama the best. And it's been a pleasure to work with Governor Bob Riley on that. And I'm just pleased as I can be to be invited to be part of this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. Thank you
1: again, Dr. Borton. Um, and let me tell you, uh, I think most of you know the format for this. But Governor Riley's going to come in, uh, first and make some informal remarks. And then after he finishes his kind of overview, um, um, Melissa Maddox um, will, uh, from the Office of Technology Initiatives, will direct the questioning process uh, the, so that each student who is, is signed up will be able to ask Governor Riley questions. So now please join me in welcoming the Governor of Alabama, Bob Riley.
3: Thank you, Doctor. Good morning. Tomorrow night I will give my seventh State of the State. Tomorrow night is probably going to be one of the most important speeches I've given. We've made a lot of progress in the last few years. And I think the people in here are beginning to understand that Alabama really is being held to a different standard today. You know, most of you When you were growing up, most of you had an impression of Alabama, and I think a lot of people in the United States and around the world had a almost negative impression of the state of Alabama. But that's changed. And it's changed primarily because of the people sitting in this room and the people behind me. Today Alabama is becoming the state that other states want to be like. Today, we have a different level of technology than just about any other state when it comes to offering different courses to you. You know, tell me first where you're from. Billingsley? LAMP? Bob Jones? Jones. If you look at most of your programs, you have advanced placement programs, you have things today that will allow you to develop into a a person who has all the opportunity in the world. But what we're doing with access and what we're doing with distance learning technology today is taking us to the point today that no other state has the capability of of doing. Fifty-two percent of the kids that are in school in Alabama today do not have the availability of any AP courses. By this fall, We hope that we can have at least two AP courses in all of the four core curriculums in every high school in Alabama. And we can do it with this type of technology because this type of technology is going to open up a world to you that has never existed before. Fox News did a program on our access distance learning just a few weeks ago. One of the things that they said is that Alabama now is beginning to lead the nation. I grew up in a little small town, population 2,000. How many of you have ever watched the Andy Griffith show? That's where I'm from. (laughs) Little town just like that. But one of the things that my children and the other children that went to school with them They had to make some tough choices because they could take physics or chemistry, but they couldn't take both. Today, Alabama has developed an education system under the leadership of Dr. Morton back here that is setting us apart. At the same time, we've begun to also set ourselves apart in economic development. Alabama is becoming almost a cosmopolitan state. If you look at most of the major industry that is in Alabama today, you begin to recognize that most of these are international companies. Companies that represent the highest degree of technology. And we've made a transition over the last five or ten years that's allowed us to go from a low-skill, basically textile economy to an economy today that represents the highest degree of technology in the world. Just think about it in the last few years. Whether it's Hyundai, Mercedes, Honda, Toyota, EADS or Airbus, Northrop Grumman, all these international companies are now coming here. I just got off the phone with someone a moment ago, a German company called ThyssenKrupp that has invested over four billion dollars in a steel plant in South Alabama and Mobile. Those That four billion dollars is the largest non-government project in the history of the United States. Think about that. And it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to give you the opportunity to never have to make a decision to leave this state to fulfill your dreams. But now, Alabama is facing some challenges. You can't turn on the television today without understanding what's going on in a global market. If someone had asked any of the people in the legislature or me last summer what I thought the market was going to do, I thought we would continue to expand. Then one day we woke up, and they said if we don't do something with a stimulus plan within three days, the financial markets will collapse brought on a whole new degree of understanding of economic viability and the interconnectedness of the world today. If you look at Alabama's economy today, we're still doing good. Well, let me rephrase that. We're still doing better than most of our other southern, sister southern states. But when you look at on unemployment last year of 3.3 percent, and now that unemployment rate is up to 6.7, you begin to understand that we have twice as many people that are unemployed as we did last year, and it's beginning to affect everything that we do. Now, all of you also know that there is a debate going on in Congress, and that debate basically says we need a stimulus plan. Now, President Obama has crafted a plan, has passed the House, the Senate is about to do something similar. And a lot of people are going to ask the question, should we have a stimulus package? States alone cannot stimulate the national economy. And we will never be isolated from all of the impact that we're seeing today on the global economy, whether it's China, Europe, all nations today are doing anything they can and everything they can to try to stimulate the market. Is it going to help? I hope. Because what you're seeing today is an economy in Alabama that's having to make some tough choices. Now, someone asked me the other day, if the stimulus package does not pass, what happens? Well, the first thing that would happen is we have to make additional cuts at the state level and in our educational process because the funding level will be reduced by about $700 million. Can you do it? Sure we can do it. Do we need to? I don't believe so. Because what we will be doing will be counterproductive to what they're trying to do in DC. If we, and we have today a hiring freeze on the 30,000 people that work for the state government, we don't want to lay anyone off, but we normally have an attrition rate of about 10% a year. So over the next year, we could end up with 3,000 less people employed by the state. Same thing true in education. Could we live with these type of cuts? We could. But if that happens, this is what's going to happen to education in the state of Alabama. First thing, class sizes will go from 17 or 18 kids per class to probably 23 or 24. All of a sudden there will be fewer teachers that are coming back into your class next year. We will probably have to make some choices on how often to change out a textbook. It's on a five, six year rotation now. You may have to keep that textbook another year. On a 10-year plan on school buses, we may have to go to 11 or 12. But the one thing that we are absolutely in agreement on, what we don't want to do is cut the quality of education that you're receiving because you're receiving the best education in America today. And if you look at any of the test scores, it becomes evident. There has never been a time up until the last couple of years, that Alabama ever ranked any higher than 47th, 48th, 49th to 50th in math and science scores or reading scores. When we compare Alabama to the other states in the United States, we are always in the bottom three or four. Why? Is it because we're not as smart as they are? Absolutely not. And we have proven that in the last few years. In the last few years through this type of technology, through a program called our ARI program, our Alabama Reading Initiative program, we're doing things today that all of a sudden have moved us out of the bottom ten. We went from 48th to 49th in reading scores. Last year we led the nation in fourth grade in our reading improvement. We went down to 36 and 37. And that's just a prelude of things to come. We've started a pre-K program in the state of Alabama. That pre-K program is going to help every child in Alabama eventually, to the point once they get into the first grade, they have a lot of the basics taken care of. That's the difference between Alabama today in Alabama of 10, 15, 20 years ago. So what I want to do is make sure that we maintain all of these programs. It took retraining 27,000 teachers just to teach them a new way to teach reading. But it works. We have a program called AMSTAD, our Alabama math and science initiative. And it essentially goes in and teaches you in a different way math and science. It teaches it because it's fun. Let me give you some examples. How many of you have ever had an Einstein course? Joe, we need to expand it. (laughs) When I was in school, and they did have schools back then, if we studied electricity, They gave us a textbook and basically said, here's a vocabulary list. Learn this and you should understand how electricity works. Hamstein does it differently. I was down with a fourth grade class down in Mobile and they learned the vocabulary words by doing this. They built a flashlight. And all of a sudden these kids understood that wood is not a good conductor. They began to understand what voltage was. They understood because they built this flashlight. A couple of the kids in the back of the room, two little boys got together and said, if we stack more batteries together, we can blow out the light, (laughs) bulb." But when they got through, they understood every vocabulary word. They didn't just memorize it. They understood it. That's the difference. So I want to pledge to you That we're going to go through some tough times, but all of us, legislative leadership, the governor's office, our board of education, our superintendent, we are going to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that the quality of education you have is equal to any you would find anywhere in the United States. You guys, you guys are making a huge difference not only in the attitude of people in the United States, but today they're looking at us differently than we ever have. Secretary of Education in Washington came down last year and said there is more reform going on in the state of Alabama than any other state in the nation. And it's because we've got great dedicated teachers, we've got great students who have all the capacity and the capability in the world as long as we do our job and give you the ability to continue the progress that you've made. There's so many other things I can talk to you about today, but I want you to know the Alabama you've seen on these old black and white movies of the 1960s does not exist today. And one of the greatest ways I can explain it to you is a place... How many of you know where Tallahassee, Alabama is? Tallahassee, for the past 150 years, revolved around something called Mount Vernon Mills. Mount Vernon Mills existed and they made textiles back before the Civil War. That little community lived off of Mount Vernon Mills and were a part of it for generations. Until the textile industry became so competitive it moved offshore, then to Honduras, then to Indonesia, and now to China. But you know what happened to the people that worked there? They moved eight miles down the road to a company called GKN Aerospace. Today, most of the people are making twice what they made when they worked in Mount Vernon. Today, the people there, we, work, we help retrain them, but they're doing some of the most advanced carbon filament technology in the world. They're building planes for or parts for planes all over the world for Boeing, for Airbus. That is the transition that's going on in this state today. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to understand it. I want to offer you anything you could get anywhere else because there's no question. Kits in Alabama today are truly remarkable. But if that means that you have an interest in taking Chinese as a language. Take it. If you want to take Latin, if you want to take quantum physics, whatever your interest is, it's up to the people in Alabama. It's up to your elected leaders to offer you those type of opportunities. And I'm convinced, once we do, you're going to change Alabama for a generation. We have led the South. South consisting of fourteen southern states. In economic development, four out of the last five years. But for the last two years, we have led the nation in economic development. And the diversity that we're building into our economy today, it's no longer just textiles. It's no longer just agriculture. Today, it's biotech. It's manufacturing. It's aviation and aerospace. So whatever you want to take, we want to give you the opportunity to do it in this state. So with that, I think a lot of you have questions. I hope that they're not hard. One of the great things about speaking to the legislature, I get 30 minutes and they can't interrupt. (laughs) But I do want to talk to you about Everything that's going on in this state today, because you are, and it's not going to be long until you're making the decisions that affect this next generation. So I will be as candid with you as I can, and I know none of the reporters in here will take notes. <laughs> you ready? Yes. If Go, Melinda. the
0: lights so we can see. Governor, we have students, uh, high school seniors from uh, four different high schools here. the access this learning video conferencing, and so we'll be bring, i listening, okay, but we'll bring them up so we can see them, hopefully them in it. <laughs> um, but Anyway, as we get ready to do this, let's go ahead and start with a question here from one of our face-to-face students. So we have someone from Billingsley High School. Right, go right ahead. I if you'll come up to the mic.
2: Governor Riley, my name is Scotty Hunter from Billingsley School, and my first question for you is what has been done to increase the ethical standards of state government officials here in the state of Alabama?
3: (laughs) Moving right along. Did did y'all watch the ball game last night? Thanks, Scotty. That's a great question. I'm absolutely convinced of this. This state will never be as good as it could be until we develop an ethical standard and have a level of transparency here that reconnects with the people of this state and offers you a level of confidence in your elected leaders that probably does not exist today. Tomorrow night, I'm going to introduce a complete rewrite of our ethics code. It will be the most fundamental rewrite of our ethics code in the last 30 years. We do it basically for this reason. If you look back over the last, just the last couple of years, you can't pick up a paper without understanding that we have some real fundamental problems in the state. But you know what the big limiting factor is? Not just that it's wrong, and it absolutely is wrong, and people are being convicted. The big problem is, unless you believe in your government, your government will never be as creative and as innovative as they could be. Because unless the people of this state trust their elected officials, the elected officials are going to be very, very skeptical of doing anything out of the ordinary for fear that they're going to be criticized. The ethical standards also make a huge difference. When we are recruiting someone from out of state, when you have someone that's going to make a $4 billion investment in your state, the last thing they want to read in the paper is some ethical challenge that's going on in the legislature or with any public official. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night, but there are very few things that are more important than us raising that ethical standard in the state of Alabama. Thank you.
0: It's a great question. Next, we would like to move to Hopeful High School. That is on by video conferencing. Governor, that will be, it says Elmore, but it's Hopeful High School. Good morning. My name is
3: Amanda Till, Hopeful High School, and our question is How can the smart budgeting system help with the control of state tax money? Great question. I'm surprised that anyone understood exactly what smart budgeting is. Let me see if I can give you kind of a primer on smart budgeting. When we came into office, we noticed something that did not occur even in Congress. When we came into office, we began to notice that no one had a comprehensive strategic way of budgeting in any department we had. Typically what would happen Assume an agency came in to meet with our finance director or the governor and the legislators for the next year. They would take the prior year budget, add three, four, five percent for inflation and that became the basis for the new budget. Problem is, no one understood what that money was going to be spent for. My finance director, Jim Main came up with a program called Smart Budgeting, and it basically says this, and it's taken four years to get it fully implemented, but you need to explain where every dollar is going to go and whether or not it is meeting the criteria that you set. If it's successful, fine, let's increase it, but if it doesn't work, we need to know so you can pull the money back in. Let me give you an example. Assume we went to Billingsley, and we said we're going to take half a million dollars and we're going to put it in Billingsley, and we're going to try to convince people, not to, the kids here, not to take drugs, or never begin smoking. Now, in business, you would go back a year later, and if more people were smoking and taking drugs, you would assume that that was not a good use of the money, but not in government because no one understood where the money was going to be spent. Now we have a process where we can go in and say, all right, we cut teenage smoking 25% last year, so this is a program we need to continue. But if it had reversed, then we would have known for the first time in the history of this state that the program did not work, the people of Alabama would have known it, and then you can go back and reallocate those very scarce resources The programs that are working and making a difference in people's lives. Smart budgeting is taking government back to the same point that business and industry. We've been using performance-based budgeting and business for the last 20 or 30 years. Now we've brought it to state government, and it's going to make a huge difference going forward.
0: Next, we'd like to move to Hillcrest High School in Tuscaloosa.
2: My name is John Paulstein, and I'm a student at Hillcrest High School in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and it's an honor to be speaking with you on Thank you. My first question is, as the third part of the deficit prevention plan, funds have been withdrawn from the rainy day fund to decrease 12.5% probation to 9% probation. Will 9% budget cuts be spread equally off the educational system, or will they be concentrated
3: in budget cuts in performing arts and visual arts? Great question. How many of you understand that we passed a constitutional amendment last year that allowed us to increase a rainy day fund or set up a rainy day fund that didn't exist in the general fund? So we can, and what we're trying to do is have a leveling effect on our budgets so we're not spiking and, or peaking and then dropping into a valley every year. The Rainy Day Fund, this year, when we realized that the economy really was almost in a free fall, we had to do something because we estimate budgets. We'll be putting the 10 and 11 budget together coming up. We understood that there would not be enough tax money coming in to live up to the budget expectations we had last year when we set the budget this time last year. So we asked for a reduction in overall spending in every school. But we moderated that by three percent by using half of the rainy day fund. Going forward, what we do with the rainy day fund, we will make a determination as we go through the year. As most of you understand today, the stimulus package that the government is working on is going to have a lot of money that are coming back, that will be coming back into our classrooms to keep from laying off the teachers that we talked about a moment ago, or making those kind of cuts. Because it is counterproductive to what the the stimulus plan is supposed to do at a national level. This stimulus package has gone through the House, we know what those numbers are. And essentially, if you look at those numbers today, whether it's in special ed, whether it's in construction, whether it's in Title I funding, once that money flows back into the state of Alabama, it should give us the ability within and I know this is a lot of money, uh, probably a hundred million dollars of being able to sustain where we were in last year's budget. So we'll make those determinations later on in in the year, and especially after we know what the stimulus plan does or does not have. Now
0: we will move on to Charles Henderson High School in Troy, Alabama.
3: and paying for a good college or university weighs heavily on the minds of many high school seniors around the state. Since state proration is affecting grades K through 12, will colleges and universities also be affected, and if so, how? (laughs) They will. Anything that affects revenues that are coming into the state is going to have a direct impact on education at all levels, whether it's in K through 12, or in our two-year community college program, or in e- higher education. But you need to keep this in mind. We have made or will be forced without the stimulus plan to make reductions this year. But also keep it in context of where we've come from. When we first came into office, we had a budget for education of around $4 billion. Well, even after the cuts that we had this year, you're still going to have a budget of around 5.6 or up to 5.7 billion dollars. So it went like this, 4 billion, 5, 6. We went up to 6.5, 6.7. That was not sustainable. We came back down to 6.4. Now, without the stimulus plan, you're probably going to go back down to 5.6. With it, you could very easily go back up to 6.2, 6.3. Is it going to affect higher education? Sure it is. You know, if you look back over the last few years, Alabama is still still has some great universities. Tuition has gone up. It's becoming more difficult for the average family to allow each one of you the option of going to, to college. It's becoming more and more expensive. And we're going to do everything we can to try to mitigate any additional increases. But let me encourage you to do one thing. Go ahead and try. There are funding programs available, Pell Grants, student loans. What it may cost you to go into college. And it may take you, it's taken some of my kids years to pay off their student loans. But it is the best investment you will ever make. And there is nothing wrong with kids getting a a part-time job while they're there to help defray some of the costs. It actually, in a lot of ways, is probably one of the best learning experiences that you will have. What we want is never to limit your ability to have as much education as you want to try to, to have.
0: Now we're going to travel from South Alabama to uh, uh, Central North which would be Susan Moore High School in Bluntsville and Blunt County. This is Penilla Hawkins from Susan High School. And our first question is If the revenue borrowed from the Rainy Day Fund, what revenue will be used to pay it back, and how
3: long does the state have to pay back the money? It's like any other loan. We will pay it back through growth. The one thing that is really easy to understand. Growth in our economy is what has allowed us to reformulate, to rethink the way we educate. The reason we have the ability to have programs like this and have technology like this that offers this type of forum is because we did grow from four billion up to six and a half billion dollars and that allowed us to go in and retrain the teachers in our reading program. It allowed us to begin to implement AMSTAR math and science programs in every school across the state and this access distance learning program. That's what it's going to take. And when you look at the stimulus package today that's coming out of Washington, the stimulus package exists for one reason, to encourage people to get back into the economy and spend money. There's a paranoia in America today. One of my children came in a few weeks ago and said, you know, we looked at our four hundred and one k's. basically they have always religiously put money into it, and all of a sudden they look at it and it's worth half of what it was just a few months ago. And it's disconcerting to that generation to say, and, and so many of them have never been through one of these recessions before, to say, the first thing we're going to do is cut back on all spending. It's the first thing the government does. It's the first thing that your parents will do. Because everyone wants to understand what it's going to take to stimulate the economy to come back. This economy will come back. Question is when? And that's the reason they're debating the stimulus package today is because we need to put more money The government believes we need to put more money into the coffers out there to hire more people who in turn then pay more taxes back to the government. In a global economy today, one of the things we begin to notice is that we can never become the isolationists we were back in the 30s. When we started putting up trade barriers back then, in the early 30s, I think that's what exacerbated what was called the Great Depression. Look at Alabama today. If we, if we begin to accept the fact that we're going to protect jobs at home by not doing uh, business with companies overseas, then I think that is not going to be conducive to you having the kind of growth that we're going to have. We got (laughs) six years to pay the rainy day fund back. We accessed this once before in my administration and we paid it back a year early. But it's all dependent on what the economy does. If this economy comes back and begins to become uh, dynamic again, then all of a sudden people will go out and they'll buy more cars. They will begin to build houses two sectors of our economy today are really controlling kind of the psychological nature. One is real estate and the inability to begin new house starts because, and it's complicated, but essentially that's what began the discussion when we had so many mortgages that all of a sudden people could not pay. These are the ones that the the television will talk about toxic assets. That forced the bank then to begin to hold back on loaning money, whether it's to buy a car or build another house, or invest in another real estate project, and everything began to contract. The stimulus package is developed to stop the contraction, build a foundation, and become a catalyst to build off of that new foundation. So we've got six years and it will be paid back out of growth.
0: Next we have a student from uh, Bob Johns High School in Madison County here in the room.
3: You guys still the biggest school in the state? Uh,
2: That's what they keep telling us.
3: How many students do you have? Uh, We're up to,
2: we've got over 2,000 students in the building and that's
3: got more people than i have in my town
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's still not including uh we have probably eighteen hundred ninth graders
3: see so. yeah. first time i went up there true story the assistant principal came in and said now well, they were going to take me on a tour and they said governor how many people do you think said i got on the intercom how many people do you think signed up to take latin I had a couple of my security guys and all with me and they said, none. (laughs) She said, no. She said, I just said, how many people here would like to take Latin? Sixty-four kids signed up. Sixty-four. Now I went into one of the classes and asked this young lady, I said, why would you do this? She said, I want to be a pharmacist. And this will give me an, an advantage when I compete with other kids uh, for pharmacy school and I thought, you know, that is really what it's all about. But they had no Latin teacher. But they did have one in Tuscumbia. That whole class was being taught through access. And that's what we want to do. We want to expand that to give you the opportunity to take whatever you want. You gotta, you go to a great school.
2: Um, yeah, my name is Ian Shriver, and- the question we had was What type of alternative energy sources are you thinking about implementing in Alabama? And is there any one that you particularly
3: favor over any of the others? Great question. I favor the one that works. <laughs> Every time. Do y'all remember President Jimmy Carter? It's way before your time. You go back to the 70s, 30-something years ago, every president has always made the claim, during my administration, we will become energy independent. We're more dependent on foreign oil today than we have ever been. Why is that? Because every time we start these new programs, every time we get people interested, every time we offer tax incentives, every time we come up with a new technology, cost of oil goes down, gas goes down. When it was at four dollars, everyone wanted to do it. When it dropped down to a dollar and thirty cents all of a sudden you don't hear it anymore. I hope this administration follows through because if you give the American people the resources and the tax credits and what they need, they will develop a product. Let me give you an example of some of the things that are going on in, in Alabama today. I went to Brazil last year. And we began to look, Brazil today is energy independent. They make their own gasoline, they make their own jet fuel, and they make it out of sugar cane, syrup. So we went down and we looked in Brazil for two or three days and we came back and we said, we could do that here because of the climate. So we asked people from Brazil to come they began to take soil samples and look at everything south of Montgomery. North of Montgomery becomes a little more difficult to grow. And we found out: can we produce sugarcane as efficiently as the people in Brazil? No, we can't. But on a scale of a hundred, if they're ninety-four, we're in eighty-nine. There is technology out there today. Now, you kids are so much smarter than me than this. <laughs> There's technology today that you can change the molecular structure of sugarcane, make it into a jet fuel by putting one bug in there that basically transforms it. We planted some of the best varieties of sugarcane at our prison facility down in South Alabama. We did it this year. So over the next few years, we're going to begin to know which one of these technologies, which ones uh, of these varieties is more suitable to Alabama. U.S. Air Force has made a determination that within 10 years at least half of all their jet fuel has to be domestically produced with an alternative energy source in the United States. Can we do it? I don't know. But why not? I also went down last week and I don't even know if th- this is public information or not. But y'all will tell anyone.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> There's a company down at Baymanet. They take switchgrass, which is like hay, or they take old tires. They take pine trees. And they put it through a process and it's just coming online, they can turn a pine tree into a gallon of gas, or many gallons of gas. They can do it for a relatively inexpensive, I guess everything's expensive, but it's cheaper than anything that I've seen. But it basically takes carbon that is, that exists in grass, that exist in an old tire. They take this carbon that they can get from a variety of different places and turn it into gasoline. And that is being developed in Alabama. To my knowledge, no one else in the United States can do that. It's going to open up, if you can bring it to scale, where you can really expand this, you could see these plants throughout the United States. And then you begin to take things like a pine tree or a roll of hay and turn it into gasoline. That's what your generation is going to be able to do. For the first time, this last year I think the United States really did understand we can never be totally subjected to the whims of any other country when it comes to our ability to protect our nation. And when the Air Force stepped up and said we're going to do this and we're going to do it domestically, it changed the whole paradigm. Because all of a sudden we now begin to look at this as a national security issue. There are a lot of things that you can do, but I am more I'm more excited about something like this because we knew we could do it with corn. We knew we could do it with soybean, and we have done that with biofuels. But what happened? The more corn we used, the higher a loaf of bread became. So, when you take food stocks that people need around the world, I think we have to be very cognizant that when we drive up the cost of food, especially when we try to export it to the rest of the world, that's probably not the best, best way to become energy uh, self-sufficient in this country. Old tires, switchgrass, hay, all of this we can do, and it doesn't drive up the cost of food products. To the people in this country and around the world.
0: We have a uh, someone from Dallas County Southside High School in Selma. Good
3: Good morning, DeAndre.
0: It's
3: nice to meet you.
0: I can help but ask, what has been done for educational purposes to benefit lower and middle class Alabamians?
3: Great question. You guys have great questions. I see reporters over here that I deal with every day that's hiding behind the post now. You're shaming them. (laughs) There's almost a perception that people that live in Clay County, where I live, Mm -hmm. or people that live in Dallas County, Even if you gave them these great options or opportunities to take the more advanced classes, they would not take them. You believe that? It is hard to believe. Because I watch my children go to school with some of the brightest kids I have ever known. Now, some of my kids went on to Ivy League schools and got a great education, but they grew up in a public school in a real small town. But other kids in there never had those expanded opportunities because of a variety of different factors. One thing I'm convinced of, just because you live in a smaller school area or just because your parents didn't go to college or just because you live in a rural area Uh, where they don't offer some of these advanced courses. Kids in these classes are as bright, as capable, as any you will find anywhere in the United States. Back. (laughs) Joe, I think I sent you a letter one time from another young man who was the only child in the school who took Latin. And I can't remember the school. Sheffield. One child wanted to take it, just wanted to make a long story short, he scored such a high grade on his Latin course, he he now is recipient of a Harvard scholarship. If this had not been available, he would have never known that he was that fluent in Latin or had those kind of language capabilities. And it's going to open up a whole world to him. That's what it's about. Allowing every child, regardless of which side of a driveway you happen to live on. You know, the great thing about America is you can become anything you want if you work hard and you try. But if you look at Alabama today, you can live on one side of a driveway and go to a school that is failing, that doesn't offer all of these courses. You live on the other side of the driveway and you go to the best school in America. What we've got to do. Is get all up, up to the point that an individual can reach his own level of attainment if he's motivated, if he's enthusiastic, if he has the hard work and the desire to do it. Once we give it to you, pre K, and especially the way I want to or I hope to see pre-K implemented in the state of Alabama. Again, a large segment of the people in the state today have pre-K, and when their child starts in kindergarten or when they get to the first grade, there's so much father ahead of the kid who has not had the option to learn how to, to do just the, the very basics. I mean, we have kids today that get, go into kindergarten, and they've never held a crayon. Never seen one, don't know anything about it. And it takes a while to get there. What I'm asking, and what we're going to ask in our budget, is that if we have to cut back, let's cut back on something other than these programs. Now we're on a track to implement a pre-K program, and it's all voluntary, you don't want to go fine. But if you do, and you want your child to have a great pre-K program, the one that we have is viewed nationally as the best in the United States. Alabama and North Carolina tied as having the best pre-K programs. We have it on a path to continue to slowly grow each year for the next five or ten years. What I'd rather do this year is to continue to increase the amount of money that goes into that, even if it is only marginally. So we continue to increase every year. And if it means we have to cut back, if it means we have to wait another year to trade a bus, I think you can do that. If it means that we have to make a decision to use a textbook one year more in order to fund these programs, that's where I think our priorities should be. We should never get to the point in government that we treat everything the same. That's the reason you elect people in government. So we set priorities, and we begin to say, this is more important than that. And if we have to make a, a cut this year, let's make it in the ones that don't affect a child's ability to learn and succeed. So, no one wants to see a program cut. We will never SACRIFICE SAFETY OF A SCHOOL BUS. BUT WITH THE NEW TECHNOLOGIES THAT WE HAVE, THE DIFFERENCE BETWEEN A 10-YEAR-OLD BUS AND 11-YEAR-OLD BUS IS NOT GOING TO BE THAT DRAMATIC. NOT GIVING A PRE-K INSTRUCTIONAL PROGRAM TO A CHILD, THAT IS DRAMATIC. BECAUSE THEY CAN NEVER GO BACK. THEY CAN NEVER HAVE THAT OPPORTUNITY AGAIN. SO I THINK OUR PRIORITIES, have to be in giving children in this state. The first priority should be whatever it helps to increase their knowledge and ability. Thank you.
1: Uh, Governor, we're running out of time, but let me thank uh, all of the students who are here today, all the students who joined joined us in. Thank Dr. Morton, thank Randy Fulmer from the Supercomputer Network, uh, Matt Eschenfelder, who helped set everything up, Alabama Public Television, the Encyclopedia of Alabama, and uh, will you all join me in thanking Governor Riley for taking time?
3: To... Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We Hello. Stand up, guys. How you doing? Good to see you. y'all. Did a great job. Thank you. How are you? Where oh, are you from? You from? I'm Bob Jones. Bob Jones. How you doing? Good. Doing fine. How are you? I'm doing all Before right. Where you go to school? i go to Bob Jones. Bob Jones. Yes, sir. Hey, Bob Jones. J- How many here are from Bob Jones? That's the front row. <laughs>